Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. The prophet Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. And when we hear these words from Jeremiah's book today, you'll hear some of that lament coming through. I'm reading from the 8th chapter of Jeremiah beginning in verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people is far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in here? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn. And dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water. And my eyes a fountain of tears. So that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Well, that's a contrast. We, we started today with the highest, in the highest way possible. Carson and Casey Snipes emerging from the waters of baptism with all that that represents, the freedom, forgiveness, promise of new life in Christ. By the way, our services are all uh, uh, taped and on the website, and you can go watch that part over and over this week just to get renewed. New life, new creation, the participation in victory, the abundance of the Christian life, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. No higher moment in the life of an individual, in the life of a family, in the life of the church than what we saw this morning. The eternal significance of new life in Jesus Christ. There are several in this room who would testify That so much of what matters in life is settled and satisfied when we recognize God's love for us and when we enter into relationship with the risen Christ and seek to follow him. But you would also testify that it does not vaccinate us from life's pain. Grief and sadness still come our way. Friends still die young, companies still downsize, relationships still break up, we still make bad choices. Hurricane Dorian struck the Abaco Islands on September 1st, 185 mile per hour winds, homes were flattened, children swept away by rushing currents, and some of those people the Sunday before were in church singing hymns. 
few months ago, I sat in a surgical waiting room with a pastor friend of mine and his family. His 31-year-old daughter was having brain surgery. I was there when the surgeon came out and told the family that the brain tumor was aggressive. He was not able to remove it all. In the pain and shock that followed that news, I held one of her sisters while tears and snot and mascara ran down the front of my shirt. After that day, there were more surgeries. There was sickening chemo. A few months later, I attended a funeral of a 31-year-old pastor's daughter who left a husband and an 18-month-old son. Don't trust the prosperity preacher who tells you that the life of faith comes with bubble wrap, somehow protecting us from life's pain. Sometimes, even within the life of faith, we declare that the joy is gone. But at least, at least, we do find companionship in the biblical witness. Jeremiah just said it in our reading. My joy is gone gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. And if you have lived long enough and honestly enough, you have said those words too. In Jeremiah's case, it was not natural disaster or disease. It was the grief that attends watching people you love continue to make bad choices. When Jeremiah was young, uh, Josiah was king of Israel. During that time, the powerhouse Assyria had a lot else going on, and they weren't as oppressive as they had been in the past. They more or less left Israel alone, and it gave space for Israel to flourish under Josiah's leadership. Josiah rebuilt the destroyed temple. He restored some sense of national pride and identity after they had been occupied all those years by the Assyrians. Josiah led a lot of religious reforms. He he called people back to the worship of Yahweh, got people back into the temple. He closed the shrines that were all over, that were there to honor the Assyrian gods. He located and rooted out all the vestiges of pagan worship that the Assyrians had brought into the culture. And things were good. People were back in the temple. God's claim and covenant was being talked about again, honored again. Things were rocking. But then the great king Josiah died in battle. And Jehoiakim became the king. It was not Israel's best day. (laughs) Jehoiakim didn't care that much about Josiah's reforms all this God and temple stuff. He was fine for folks to just live with indifference for the faith. Now try to imagine this, if you will. It's going to take, you're going to have to stretch your imagination, but try to imagine a culture that had disregarded their religious tradition and started living for their own pleasure without concern for God's claim on their lives. Can you imagine that? That's what had happened. In an earlier chapter, Jeremiah describes the streets of Jerusalem as being filled with the sound of mirth and gladness. That's all they really cared about. 
Just mirth and gladness. Tailgating and beach parties and spa days and nightclubs. As though mirth and gladness were at the center of all life. Instead of their relationship with God. And some of the preachers of that day were propping up the culture. They were telling these selfish pleasure seekers that they're doing right pursuing their own gratification. False false prophets selling theological snake oil. Well, the prophet Jeremiah had seen enough and had enough. He'd had enough of the wayward disregard for God. He'd heard enough from these false prophets. It's moved him to grief and lament, and he pours it out. Although it's not really clear when he's speaking on his behalf and when he's speaking on God's behalf, this could be the words of God. These, some of these could be the words of Jeremiah. It's really not all that clear. But what is clear is the depth of the sadness in these verses about the betrayal. Listen again. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people. From far and wide in the land is not is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in here? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. There is no medicine for this, he says. A tree that grows in Gilead would produce a soothing ointment that was used to close up wounds so they could heal. Jeremiah is crying because there is no healing. There is no medicine. God seems distant and he weeps day and night. And as a preacher, I want this scripture to end differently. But that's how it ends. So that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. I want a different ending than that, don't you? That's the way the reading ends. I want this passage to work like a lot of the lament psalms do. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know how so many of the psalms of lament start off with all that woe and anguish. And then there's a pivot somewhere in the middle of the psalm. And, and it ends with praise and declaring all the wonderful attributes of God. That, but not today. No praise. No reminders of steadfast love. No arm around the shoulder to tell us we're going to be okay. But maybe that's not all bad. The darkest season of my life happened when I was in my late 20s. The church I was a part of and employed by had just split. I endured watching people I loved being mean to each other, and as a direct hit, the church was not going to be able to afford any staff the next year beyond the senior pastor. 
which left me looking for a new job with toddler twins. And during that time, my house flooded and we moved into an extended stay hotel. 29 years old, no income, no savings. I'm eating continental breakfast at the extended stay hotel. I felt lost, alone. I got up each morning saying, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Is the Lord not in Zion? And I just wanted to sing the blues for a little while without people cheering me up. I was in pain, and the people who love me most wanted my pain to pass, and I get that. With the sweetest intentions, they would tell me cliches that they read off a plaque at the Cracker Barrel like it was going to be the magic I needed. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, right now in this painful moment, I'm not so sure. Can I just lament for a while? God doesn't close a door without opening a window. Well, can't I just sing the blues if that's how I feel? If the prophet Jeremiah can say, I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me, is there no balm in Gilead? Can I just lie in a fetal position for a while without you fixing me? Let me say again, I know now and I knew then that every one of these people was operating out of their very best self. They were expressing their care for me, their hope that I would feel better. I was just having none of it. My joy was gone. My heart was sick. Blues musician Leon Redbone sings, The blues ain't nothing but a good man feeling bad. And sometimes the blues is the only song you can sing. Sometimes we cry out, is the Lord not in Zion? But even though some of our friends and family might not be able to handle our pain well, God can. God is big enough to hold our honest anger, our deepest fears, our lonely grief The weeping prophet models for us that God will let us feel what we feel without the final line of the passage having to be a verse of praise. And in today's passage, it doesn't move to thanksgiving. It just stops right in the middle of the mire. The people have turned their backs on God. They're living for their own mirth and gladness. Jeremiah says, for the hurt of my poor people, I'm hurt. My heart is sick. And the final verse has the image of eyes that are a fountain weeping day and night. Well, if that's where you are, I'm not going to try to slap your back and cheer you up. I'm not going to read to you some verses from an inspirational throw pillow. I'm not going to hug you and say, oh, it's all good. Sing the blues if that's the song that's in your soul. But can I suggest something that's more muscular than cliche? Even if you can't hear these words right now, will you tuck them away and revisit them when you're ready? 
Because what I'm about to tell you are the sturdy assurances of God that were the rocks I found underneath my feet when the sand was shifting. These are the eternal promises of God that have lasted throughout every pain-filled generation and they have lived on as holy truth because they are more sure and more timeless than our temporary circumstance. One, God has never broken covenant. Never. God's steadfast love endures forever. God has never broken promise. Two, grief is a form of love. To feel hurt or loss or grief or tears means that something or someone you love is at risk or has been lost. You hurt to the degree that you care. Grief is a form of love. Third, in the economy of God, Friday eventually becomes Sunday. The darkest event in human history happened on a Friday on a hill in Israel called Golgotha, the skull. The sky went dark, the veil was torn, joy was gone, there was no balm in Gilead to heal the pain of that day. But three days later, three days later, Christ was raised from the dead. It doesn't always happen in three days, but it always happens. In the mystery of God's love, the darkest Fridays become Sunday's resurrection. And fourth, God promises to never leave you or forsake you. And again, God has never broken promise. A music man from South Georgia made that claim in his darkest hour. He was from Villarica, actually. His name is Thomas Dorsey. I've wondered if we might be related because I come from a line of Dorsey's in this region too. Anyway, he was a gospel and blues musician from rural Georgia. He moved to Chicago to find work in the music business. And interestingly, he toggled back and forth between working in churches and working in nightclubs. And eventually, he gave up the club gigs, became a full-time church musician. August 1932... He left his pregnant wife at home in Chicago, traveled to St. Louis because he had been invited to be the featured soloist at this big revival meeting they were having uh, in St. Louis. First night of the revival, he received a telegram from home that said simply, your wife just died. Well, of course, he raced home back to St. Louis from Chicago. He found... His wife had given birth to a son right before she died in childbirth, and the next day that newborn son died as well. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. He stopped playing, writing, singing music. That makes sense, doesn't it? Stopped completely for a good long while, just couldn't find the music in him. 
And one day he sat down at the piano and he heard a melody in his head he had never heard before. A peace washed over him. And he started playing out the melody. And he started recording his testimony in song. He put words to his faith and his trust in his very darkest hour. Here's what he wrote. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Would you stand and sing those words as your prayer today? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.